I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Field Notes. This is a program with Strategic Farming. And what we're going to have today is, again, another webinar that we have every Wednesday, uh, looking at different issues that pop up in the state in terms of, you know, our weekly updates that we have for uh, University of Minnesota Extension and crop conditions. All right, these sessions are brought to you by with generous support uh, with the Minnesota Soybean Research Promotion Council and the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council. And this is also provided by University of Minnesota Extension with that generous support. So we're glad you could join us today. This session today is going to be covering more about moisture issues that we're dealing with, whether it's too wet in some areas, especially earlier this spring, but then also too dry in a lot of areas. We just recently had some showers come through just last night in some areas here in central west central Minnesota. Um, so there's some updates to have there on the moisture side of things. But then also it's the time of year we are looking at uh, side dressing for nitrogen and more of the nutrient management side of things. My name is Anthony Hansen. I'm an IPM extension educator based out of Morris, Minnesota. Uh, today we're going to have two folks on. First is uh, Dr. Pasu Sharma. Uh, she is an irrigation specialist based out of the Department of uh, Soil, Water, and Climate. And then also Dr. Fabian Fernandez, who's more on the nutrient management side of things out of that department as well. So Vasu and Fabian, it's great to have you here. And I think Vasu, we will start off with you here. Um, now, how are things looking for moisture across the state? And you know, we'll kind of go a little bit into first, you know, areas where it's maybe been too wet so far this spring and how are those areas looking? Yeah, thanks for having me, Anthony. Uh, as you said, there are two things going on, two wet areas, southern, mostly southern part, and then two dry in the central Minnesota where we usually have irrigation availability. Uh, with very heavy rains in the southern Minnesota, I think uh, early in the season, uh, we had some issues with the uh, nitrate leaching and Fabian would be maybe touching on that. But since we do not irrigate and the soils are heavy soils, I would say there would be some moisture still available in the soil, maybe more, most of it that roots can take up later in the season. So it allows, I mean, more water sometimes restrict root growth because there is too much water and can impact uh, yield. But since it was really early in the season, there could be some stand issues. But now at this point, with good moisture in the soil, that would actually uh, make roots grow deeper if there is a water in the deeper profile. Talking about the areas where we have too low rain, uh, I was comparing data sets at Becker's site from last year and this year. And just for the month of May and first week of June, we are three inches less than last year. And last year was a dry year. So it's really, really dry. And I was out in the field a couple of days ago and I was installing a sensor. It looks like top 10 inches are really dry, but there is lots of moisture down there. So it, in one way, it's not a very bad thing, I would say. It, it lets our root grow deeper in the soil to get that water. So at this point, crop can also tolerate lots of 
uh, stress. So we don't need that much water, but for the stress was really, if the stress is really early, there could be some stand issues. But at this point when our corn is around V5, if we don't have that moisture in maybe top six, seven inches and have lots of moisture down there, it would actually help roots grow deeper. So at Becker and Westport, both sites, uh, Westport is in Pope, uh, Pope County where we have another research site. At both sites, I haven't irrigated yet. So corn and soybean. Our first soybean irrigation is today. So, that, yeah. That was one of my questions, Vasu, is um, especially if you go, say, 10 inches down, that's when you're starting to find moisture. Um, for some of these, you know, just recently emerged crops, um, how tolerant are they to that dry of conditions? Can they kind of move themselves along um, even with pretty minimal moisture versus when do you really want to be looking to irrigate if you can in that case? Because I've definitely seen pivots start up in West Central Minnesota about the last week, people concerned about that, but you know, when is the best timing to uh, be dealing with that? Yeah, so we were also concerned about when our crop was not emerged. So we actually put around three tenths for emergence in, in Westport site in West Central. Uh, but after that, once you have good stand, your crop at this stage, very early stage is, you won't have that much yield loss if, if your crop is slightly stressed and it allows your roots to go deeper if your top profile of or six inches is, is really dry. So I would recommend in terms of irrigation, if you have a good stand and your crop is at V3, V4 stage, your roots will go deeper very quickly if there is moisture down there. So people usually think about, you know, when they irrigate, just look at the top six inches, which is not, I mean, so you, you, you need to dig a little bit deeper. So soil moisture sensors in that case would help help a lot because I have soil moisture sensors all over my study. So I am very confident that there is moisture down there that my, my crop can take up. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, so I think you mentioned three tenths you were putting on. Is that kind of what we're looking at for crop needs right now if you do have to um, irrigate in that case, just for at least the crop stages we're looking at right now. Yeah, it depends on it depends on crop to crop and the you know the crop growth stage as well as your irrigation system. So the capacity of the system also needs to be taken into consideration. At this point, uh, when I said three tenths, that was very big at the beginning of the season when we were just there was no water and we were really anxious, like oh our crop is not emerging. So we just for for. Uh, safety purpose, we just put three tenths. But at this point, as we are moving forward, uh, because we are not, so in sands, uh, smaller irrigations and frequent irrigations are mostly recommended, but not that small that you just wet your top six inches and the water doesn't go down. So around uh, seven tenths of an inch uh, is, is usually recommended up to one inch. Uh, when crop water demands are really high, which is close to tasseling at VT in corn. And that's something too, where we look at, you know, especially corn and soybean in this case, I know central Minnesota, I mean, there's definitely a lot of irrigation going on for alfalfa as well. And that's when our more water intensive crops to some degree. Um, have you heard anything on what folks have been dealing with on the alfalfa side of things or um, you know, just heavier needs or just the hot dry conditions here? Yeah, I think I, I personally, I don't have any research or working with alfalfa, but the conditions are same all over for all crops. It's really dry and 
growers are irrigating, but I don't have any direct data from alfalfa, but I can talk about corn and soybean that in, at Becker, especially both of my studies where I have, excuse me, corn and soybean, the top 10 inches, 12 inches is dry, but deeper there, there is lots of moisture. So we can, you know, wait maybe a couple of weeks. And if you don't get irrigation like uh, rain, we, we need to irrigate. It's We can't be too late because then our crop will be really stressed and we will have some yield losses. But this is the time when we can actually think about if we need irrigation or not, uh, and how how much and where our water is in the soil profile. And that's a good follow-up too, um, in terms of folks that don't have irrigation, you get to other parts of the state. Um, you know, we talked about South Central where you know, got heavier ground, it's wetter, and you know, they're probably sitting pretty well, but others where you don't have the, the option to irrigate, when are we getting to the point when you know, we're getting pretty concerned here? Yeah, around until for corn, until around V13 and you know, V13 to silking is, is very water critical period. So if you are at, you know, from emergence to V say 10, you are okay with, with less water, but as you are close to your silking and the reproductive growth stages, that's when water is really critical. And if you don't get those rains and it, it's really dry, there could be some yield loss. So I think we can somewhat um, transition between both you, Vasu, and Fabian. This is kind of a question potentially for both of you. Um, how about on the nutrient side of things with, you kind of mentioned a little bit poor and areas that's too wet, maybe a little bit of leaching there. Um, but when it's this dry, um, I'm thinking more just erosion issues. I've seen some folks that were out late planting, you could just see uh, soil floating off in the air pretty much. But um, kind of what nutrient issues are we looking at in the combination of our um, water issues right now? Yeah, you know, I think Vasu hit it on very well there with uh, you have those kind of dichotomy in the state, you know, some places where there's too much water and other places where there's not enough water. Um, the good thing, as Vasu says, is that the plants early in the development stage, they don't need a lot of water and they also don't need a lot of nutrients. And when we talk about it specifically, well, any of the nutrients, but um, nitrogen that is kind of the one that we normally focus a lot on. Um, the plants need water to take up nitrogen. And so right now, because there is not that much need for nitrogen, if there is a little bit of lack of water, that's not a huge problem because there is enough nitrogen to supply the needs of the crop with the water that is there. But, but like Vasu mentioned, you know, once the plants start to, to grow and they start to take up more water, they also need more nutrients. So the nitrogen is a, it's a big one. At that point, we definitely need to have water. In the sandy soils, the benefit of being actually dry is, is, is huge because we have looked at when we lose most of our nitrogen, and it's typically in the first part of the spring. When there is no crop or the crop is really small, we have excess water. The uh, sandy soil don't really have a capacity to keep nitrogen in the soil. Water moves very quickly. And so the fact that it's dry means that the nitrogen that has been mineralized or any nitrogen that we have applied has not been lost. And that's, that's a really great positive thing of these dry conditions. Uh, for the uh, heavier soils in South Central, Southwest Minnesota, where we have had a lot more rain and some of the Southeast parts of the state as well. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, we lose nitrogen once nitrogen is in the nitrate form. 
And so if you apply nitrogen in the spring, we have a relatively cool spring. So there was not a lot of biological activity happening early on. And so quite a bit of that nitrogen, I suspect that would be in the ammonium form early on in the season. Now, of course, as it's warm, most of that nitrogen is probably getting me to be nitrate. Um, so I would not be too concerned about nitrogen losses, substantial nitrogen losses. There were some losses in those really heavy rains where we had, you know, six, seven inches of rain over a 10-day period. Uh, but because that rain came so fast, also, I don't think a lot of that water moved through the profile. I think most of that water, or quite a bit of that water actually kind of either ponded in the lower area in the field or, or you know, was washed out on the surface. And so... There was not as much leaching, I don't think, as maybe we tend to think. Um, and so the big issue, I think, is, is kind of twofold. One is nitrogen loss in low-laying areas of the field where water ponded. That's typically where you will see most of the nitrogen loss through denitrification. Um, and then the other would be places where folks apply nitrogen in the fall. Um, because that nitrogen had more time to nitrify. We had kind of a warmer fall and the, the winter wasn't extremely cold. Uh, luckily, the spring wasn't too warm either. So it wasn't, it wasn't cold, but it wasn't high either. So the, the mineralization slowed down a little bit, but those would be the two situations where I feel the biggest concern would be the fall application timing and then um, those areas where you have ponding water. Yes, Fabian, that's kind of the different situations you described reminded me out here in Western Minnesota. We have definitely some areas where you could see flooding like that earlier in the spring, but now obviously too dry in a lot of areas. So um, some folks are kind of seeing both ends of that a little bit. Uh, so this is kind of something for both of you too. Um, this question is maybe more directed towards FASU, but uh, you can look at nitrogen credits for uh, irrigation. Uh, do you want to explain a little bit, uh, you know, how that works? And um, you had an article about that recently, actually. Yeah, so we, Fabian and I worked on that article, I think, three years ago. And uh, I thought this is very timely. So we republished that article. Uh, and yeah, so irrigation water that you pump from, you know, usually irrigation uh, water is groundwater in, in Minnesota, actually 93% of it. And when we use that water, there is sometimes nitrogen in it. And if we don't credit that nitrogen, I mean, it is a saving of money. So that's what we put that in article also, some economics of it. So if you have some nitrate in the water and you test that, you can actually get that credit when you apply your own nitrogen, fertilizer nitrogen. Uh, so yeah, that, that's what that, that, that article is talking about. Yeah, uh, and that's something too, just thinking about, um nutrients, but especially on our nitrogen side of things. This is the time of year where I've seen plenty of folks out there within hydrous tanks already, um, kind of this last week, but you know, some folks might be still out there working on that a bit too. So uh, we're hoping this is timely for people. So Fabian, I think over to you. Um, you know, when does applying nitrogen pay in terms of side dressing versus top dressing? Um, what should growers be looking out for with uh, just kind of the overall economics of it right now? Yeah, so I always mention that uh, the split applications or top dress split applications, depending on what, what uh, kind of plan you, you have in, in place, um, the main reason we do those are for 
One is if you plant it that way so that you apply very little nitrogen early on and now you need to supplement the, the nitrogen or we lost a lot of nitrogen and then you have to go back and apply some additional nitrogen. But regardless of what the plan is, the, the reason we do these in-season applications of nitrogen is to minimize the risk of nitrogen loss from early spring. Um, now, as the crop starts to grow quickly and it's drying up, uh, the potential for nitrogen loss is really low uh, and it gets lower as the season progresses because any rain that we get uh, is going to be used. That water is going to be used either to replenish the water that is um, lacking in the soil, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, or will be taken up by the crop with the nitrogen in it. So um, there is really sense, it really is not much sense in uh, spoon feeding corn um, throughout the season. Some people talk about, you know, giving it a little shot of nitrogen uh, at different times throughout the season. But in reality, if you apply nitrogen and it's not lost, it's going to be there for the crop. The crop will use it. And so the best time, uh, I've done years of research now looking at these questions of when is the best time to apply nitrogen. And Everything points out to around the V4 to V8 development stage, which is right now uh, for most crops, is the best time to apply nitrogen. If you wait later into the season, you gain very little or nothing. And in actuality, um, the summers tend to get a little drier. And so you actually run the risk of applying nitrogen that will not be available for the crop because it will just sit there on the soil surface potentially be lost uh, through volatilization, but ultimately not making it into the root. And so waiting longer doesn't really pay. It's typically that V4 to V8 timing is, is the ideal timing. Plus it's easier uh, logistically. You don't need high clearance equipment or things like that to, to do the application. So we do have a couple of questions that have come in here um, on the nutrient side of things. One is just in-season nitrogen testing. They're wondering if, um, uh, basically, pre-testing, uh, especially in a corn and soybean rotation, uh, pre-citrus -si pre nitrate test is what they're asking about. Uh, is that something that's you know definitely a good idea to be looking at there? Is it helpful in the corn soybean situation rotation? Yeah, we're actually doing a, a large project right now looking at that tool as a, as a tool to, to know how much nitrogen to apply. And... Um, I would say it is a useful tool. It's not a perfect tool, but uh, in situations where you have you you suspect that there is quite a bit of residual nitrogen, that's where I would use it um, just to see if you have adequate amounts of nitrogen. If the test is you know around twenty five parts per million nitrate nitrogen in the first foot, that will tell you that you have adequate amounts of nitrogen that you don't need to apply anymore. Um, and so as a diagnostic tool can be really useful, but again, I would not do it in every acre. I would just only do it in areas where you suspect that there is quite a bit of nitrogen, either because you apply nitrogen early or there was quite a bit of residual nitrogen. That's where I would uh, use it. Um, but I would use that information also looking at the rest of the, the picture in your farm. Uh, as I mentioned, there were areas uh, that had heavy rains, that the soil got crusted, that the crop may not be looking very good. Um, and so, you know, in some situations you might have very shallow roots, the crop may not look very good. 
Um, and uh, the first thing that we think when we see a pale crop is, well, it needs more nitrogen, when in reality, the condition of the crop is very important. You know, you cannot solve a, a poor crop by adding more nitrogen um, if, if something else is the limiting factor. So keep that in mind as you look at those PSMT values. All right, another question, uh, a couple of them actually asking more about sulfur and either losses we've had this spring, um, kind of just maybe a little background on uh, that particular nutrient, but then also uh, someone else was asking about ammonium sulfate and um, kind of when's the best time or situations to be looking at that particular um, fertilizer setup. Yeah, so ammonium sulfate is a great nitrogen source. The, the good thing about uh, ammonium sulfate is that if you apply it on the soil surface, it doesn't volatilize like urea would. So that's a benefit, plus you, you add some sulfur with it. The one thing that I would caution folks about is uh, leaf burn. Uh, it's one of the fertilizers that will create most more leaf burn than, than some of the others. And so if you are doing a broadcast application, do it as early as possible. The bigger the plant, the, the more chance that you have for, for that fertilizer to get into the world of the plant and create some leaf damage. Um, but it is definitely a good source. And in terms of uh, uh, sulfur loss, it's the same story as nitrate. So if you have potential for nitrate loss, you will have the same for, for sulfur. Um, now, most soils um, that have you know, an adequate amount of organic matter, which will be the case this year for the areas where we got a lot of rain, you know, heavier soils with dark color, you have quite a bit of organic matter. And so even though you might have potentially lost some of that sulfur. Mineralization, just like with nitrogen, uh, the same thing happens with sulfur. You will get the mineralized sulfur and uh, and the crops will will have what they need. And that's, that's another follow-up I had. Um, you know, as someone where I'm not a soil scientist, I'm more kind of the, the pest management side. So mineralization is always kind of interesting one for me to hear about, but um, I'm not as familiar with it. And I think that applies to uh, some growers out there too. So do you want to describe a little bit just kind of what goes on with mineralization? And um, sometimes we'll talk about where we have good mineralization some years um, and how that's affecting our nutrient profile. Yeah, so yeah, mineralization is, is of huge importance to our agricultural soils. We have the uh, fortunate uh, uh, situation of high organic matter in much of the state and so there is a lot of uh, nitrogen and sulfur in in that organic matter and uh, the easiest way to explain it is that good corn weather conditions are good weather conditions for mineralization so warm moist soils are the best uh, conditions for mineralization to take place and we've we've done a number of studies looking at that question of mineralization how much of the nitrogen that is taken up by the crop uh, is from the fertilizer versus the, um, the soil organic matter through that process of mineralization. And fertilizers help the crop early on, but the majority of nitrogen the crop ends up taking is actually coming through that process of mineralization. So it's, it's that continuous supply of nitrogen that comes from the soil. Uh, if you look at the, the soil profile, nitrogen soil profile throughout the growing season, you will notice that uh, around V8 or so, the concentrations of nitrogen in the soil are pretty low. You know, the plant basically took it all up and uh, the remaining 
nitrogen that will be taken up is mostly being supplied by the soil through that process of mineralization. So it's really important. All right, I have uh, two more questions, uh, then I think we'll have to wrap up pretty soon. So uh, first question is more on biological. So I'll give this to Fabian. Um, in that case, they're asking, do they actually add value to a nutrient management program, um, especially ask about high price micronutrients kind of mixed in with biologicals too. I know we hear a lot about that sometimes and yeah, any advice you want to give on that topic? You know, I don't want to sound negative, but <laughs> the, uh, the data that, that we see, you know, we are scientists, so we, we are looking at data uh, to make these statements. The data that I've seen doesn't convince me that it does provide much value. I mean, there are situations where, where potentially you could get a benefit from biologicals, but by and large, again, it's the soils that we have in Minnesota are very resilient, very good soils. They have a lot of nutrients in them, a lot of biological activity. And so we have not really seen much of any benefit with most of these uh, biological products that are out there. Uh, I would rather use that money into applying, for instance, nitrogen or phosphorus, potassium, whatever it may be needed in your farm, than uh, using that for for biologicals. Uh, you know, sorry not to to have a you know prettier picture, but that's that's basically what we are seeing is that they don't really provide a lot of value in most situations. Yeah, and that's our job as scientists to uh, sometimes say that you know this thing you know may not pencil out sometimes in terms of costs and what benefits are there. Um, Basu, one quick thing about the micronutrients thing too is sometimes folks worry quite a bit about micronutrients and I would say if you have a micronutrient issue it will be crystal clear that you have a micronutrient issue the plant will show it to you um, and so if you don't see those deficiency symptoms it's that you're okay yeah you don't have any issues with micronutrients yeah, that's a good point. And things that are actually worth worrying about being proactive on versus others where you'll find out if you have something to uh, you know, be concerned about and take action on. Um, Vasu, I think I'm going to give you the last question here. And mm -hmm. it's just dealing a little bit more with just, you know, how are water tables looking? We've had, you know, basically three years now where we're looking at at least some, you know, either very dry conditions, uh, very heavy drought, um, especially in irrigation country, but then also just across the rest of the state too. I'm sure it does vary across the state, but are there some areas where we're starting to kind of worry about that quite a bit more? Looking at the water table, I, I have not heard any news that water table is declined very fast because we have those snows in the winter and it gets replenished, but there are some groundwater uh, management areas designated by I think Department of Natural Resources, where there has been issues of groundwater depletion and stream stream level, not just from last three years, but last three years actually have increased it a little bit more uh, than previous years. But those those areas definitely have, and there are many areas in the state where we do see, uh, not just because of last last three years, but overall uh, heavy groundwater depletion uh, and water table decline. Yeah. yeah, I think that's been surprising just seeing, um, you know, here in West Central Minnesota, too, where you kind of almost would expect to see water table levels lower. But yeah, it's surprising how resilient they can be sometimes. Yeah, they do go down in, in the growing season because that's when most of the irrigation and most of the groundwater use is happening. And we have seen that in 2021 and 2022 when irrigators are running and then your well level goes very down. 
but not but but that gets replenished really quickly, mostly in sands because they are very you know coarse textured soils and uh, percolation is very fast. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you again, Vasu and uh, Fabian. So I guess if I think we had, no, nope, there weren't any additional questions coming in. So just a reminder to folks too, that uh, for the next sessions, we will um, be able to have you submit questions at the end of the survey here that we will um, have you look through. So you can have that for the next session here. Um, I think with that, I think we can wrap up here again. So again, thank you everyone for attending this session of Field Notes Strategic Farming. So again, uh, thank you for our sponsors today. That's the Minnesota Soybean Research Promotion Council and the Minnesota Corn Research Promotion Council. I mentioned with that, thanks everyone. Have a great day. And thanks again to Dr. Fabian Fernandez and Dr. Vasu Sharma for attending today and giving us a little bit of an update of what's going on with uh, soil moisture issues and then nutrient management.